Well, we commence today in conversation with another African-American who's pretty good with words, Pulitzer Prize-winning writer Leonard Pitts Jr., who, by the way, entered USC at the age of 15 and graduated at 19. I ain't mad at him. Leonard Pitts Jr., how are you, sir? I'm hanging in there. How are you doing, sir? Man, if I complain about being ingrate, it's, it's, it's good to have you back on the program. I did not know... As long as I've known you, as much of your backstory as I thought I knew, I was uh, doing some uh, additional research a couple of days ago, prepping for our conversation, and discovered that, like Dr. King, who went to Morehouse at 15, you went to USC at 15. What were you doing at USC, Leonard, at 15? Uh, the, they had a program. Matter of fact, they still have it, I believe. It's called the Resident Honors Program, and they take you from the uh, your senior year of high school. I was supposed to go do my senior year at Fremont High. Mm-hmm. And they take you out of your senior year of high school and take you directly to live on campus. And uh, basically, you're completing your senior year of high school at the same time as you're doing your first year of college. And I had been skipped a couple of times anyway, so I was already young for a high school senior. So, mm-hmm. you know, when they, when they added that on top, I, I started school at SC in September of 73. So that's a month before my... Uh, 16th birthday. Mm. Um, I, was, I was a kid. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying, as you look back on that now, we're talking We're talking to a kid, uh, again, our third hour, Zaila would join us. And as I mentioned, Dr. King famously went to Morehouse at the age of 15. Um, but uh, as a kid, and they're all, they're all kids to some degree, but you were younger than everybody around you. How did you process all that back then? Well, there were there was so much um, a sense of, 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 of dislocation. It, it was really weird because you've got, you've got the age thing and you've got the race thing. Uh, you know, and, and they were, neither one of them was my friend at that, at that point. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, when you're, you know, when you're two years younger than everybody else, it doesn't matter so much if I'm 48 and you're 46, mm-hmm. you know, we, we can talk, <laughs> but, but when I'm 15 and you and, and, and have no car and a bus pass and you 17 or 18, there's no getting a date. There's no, there's no nothing to talk about. There's no, none of this stuff. And then when you've grown up in South central, you know, uh, which is, you know, uh, majority African-American at that time. Uh, and you're 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 in this new place with all these white kids from all over the place. There's that sort of you know mm-hmm. cultural dislocation. I I, I I I vividly recall you know hearing Led Zeppelin uh, uh you know down the hall. Somebody mm-hmm. had their Led Zeppelin up loud, and I put on the Isley Brothers just to say <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> you know? I'm mad at you. I'll I'd see your stairway to heaven, and I'll t- and I'll show you uh, who's that lady, you know. Yeah. You got you got you got love black folk. You got love black folk, man. I ain't mad at you. They playing Led Zeppelin. You put on some Isley Brothers. Uh, let me ask you right right quick. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, I love our people. Uh, let me ask one other question about this before I move forward. Uh, what was it like in 1973 as a 15-year-old black kid in this privileged place? You talked about, uh, you know, being with all these white kids. I get it. But USC is such a place of privilege. And here you come at your little 15-year-old black self from South L.A. Um, what's it like being exposed to that kind of privilege at the age of 15 in 1973? I took to calling it the University of Spoiled Caucasians, yeah. which did not earn which did not earn me a whole lot of friends at the time. You know, I, and, I, and I, looking back, I believe I probably had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, so I'm sure they didn't find me any picnic either. Mm. You know, to be perfectly fair and dealing with, but you know, it it, it was my first uh, it was my first exposure not just to, to privilege, but you know, to being around a, a lot of white folks. So there mm. was there was a whole lot of adjustments to make, uh, and you know, just that whole idea, you know, the whole privilege thing, you know, kind of kind of stuck in my craw. This whole you know sense of 
of, of entitlement that you that you'd see in some kids, not not mm-hmm. all of them, but that you'd see in some of them. And you know, remember, I was there for for them for a lot of them. I was their first African American experience. Yeah. So I had the whole thing of can I touch your hair? Mm-hmm. And uh, I vividly remember one kid. Uh, I used to I had a big afro. And I used to carry. You remember the cake cutter uh, the afro yeah, uh, combs? Ab- abso- absolutely. I remember a white kid telling me to get a, a, a normal comb. <laughs> you know, which I, I must have read him for a good five or ten minutes just, yeah. on, just on that, you know, because he was he was threatened by my cake cutter. I'm sorry, dude. This is this is what it takes to, to tame this kind of hair. It's no wonder that at the age of 15, with all those experiences, he would become a Pulitzer Prize winning writer because you have to have a way with words to deal with all of that every day uh, at uh, the University of Spoiled Caucasians, now called the University of Spoiled Children, because the Caucasian number is dropping, but the Asian number is rising. So now it's the University of Spoiled Children, not just Caucasians. Our guest in this hour is Linda Pitts Jr., uh, again, Pulitzer Prize winning writer. When we come forward, I, I, I want to uh, lend it on today because there's a new poll that uh, came out recently. Uh, from NBC, and it shows uh, a stark political and culture divide in this country. No surprise, but the numbers may be arresting for you, uh, exposing once again an even more deeply divided country. Again, no surprise there, but the data is fascinating for me. The poll highlights partisan differences on issues such as racism and traditional values, whatever those are these days, and the term woke. And so when we come forward, I want to give you some some data. I don't like throwing numbers at you, but I'll give you some data because I think you'll find this stuff as fascinating as I did. And then we will allow the brilliant uh, Leonard Pitts Jr. to unpack what he uh, sees behind these numbers. You're listening to Leonard Pitts Jr., on Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. These are the mighty, mighty OJs. I'm still laughing at Leonard Pitts Jr. as a 15 year old at USC <laughs> in a battle royale, as it were, trying to play his music louder than they're playing Led Zeppelin. Uh, so <laughs> he, he mentioned he mentioned Stairway to Heaven, so I thought it was just a great opportunity to, to bring in the mighty, mighty OJs. And let me just say while we're at this, I was just in a conversation. Let that ride, Miles. I was just in conversation the other day with somebody, and I know the OJs well. They're friends of mine. We've hung out over the years many times. And, and I, I tell him this every time I see him. I'm sure he's tired of hearing me say it. Uh, but everybody talks about Eddie, and you can't fade Eddie. Eddie's, Eddie's a bad boy. Eddie LeVert is one of a kind. Bad boy. But I think Walter Leonard is one of the most underrated singers of all time. People don't give Walter Falsetto, his... tenor, bass. Yes. He can sing it all. Yes. Yeah, yes, Mr. Cool. Yeah, they're, they're basically fire and ice. That's, that's it. That's what I, that's what I call them. I like it, fire and ice. They don't they don't give Walter that's his props, it. man. But that brother, no, no, Walter's a bad boy. Walter can hit it. He's a bad boy, indeed. Uh, all right, so uh, let's talk about this poll because we can talk about black music <laughs> uh, for for hours. Uh, I can tell Leonard is a lover of it, and so am I, obviously. Uh, but uh, let's uh, let's get the show on the road here. So these are some some, some data points from this new <clears throat> uh, NBC News poll that I wanted to uh, unpack with Leonard in this hour. Um, So let me throw some numbers at you. So um, half of Americans believe society should promote traditional social and moral values, whatever that is these days, while 42 percent say society should encourage greater tolerance of people with different lifestyles and backgrounds. Three in four Republicans say the country should promote traditional social and moral values while 67% of Democrats want greater tolerance of diverse lifestyles and backgrounds. 52% of Americans disagree that the country judges people by the content of their character rather than their skin color. 59% of adults agree 
that American society is racist. Put a pin in that. Almost 60% of adults agree that American society is racist. That can't all be black people. 76% 76 of Americans, excuse me, are familiar with the term woke, but there are partisan differences on how to define it. Two more here. 48% of Americans believe the country has gone too far in accepting transgender people, while 43% believe the country has not gone far enough. Um, I said two more. That's the final one. So there's some data points I just wanted to put out there, and I think I want to spend the rest of this hour unpacking some of these uh, in whatever way Leonard Pitts Jr. wants to do it. I think, Leonard, I want to skip down and start with that one because I think it, it, it it's it's a good uh, it's a good base, a foundation, even a good predicate, uh, if I if you will, for the rest of this conversation. Fifty nine percent of adults agree that American society is racist. Uh, I've said many times on this program that I believe that racism is probably still the most intractable issue in this country. Uh, and I'm not sure how to read whether I'm excited about that or not. A number of ways to read it that almost 60 percent of us adults agree that America is a racist country. Your thoughts. Well, I, I find it interesting uh, that the number is that high because I spent much, you know, much of my career arguing with people who uh, wanted to complain when I made what I considered the perfectly valid and, and, and self-evident observations. This is a racist country. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I always challenged them to do, in which no one was able to ever meet this challenge, is if it's not a racist country, okay, name in industry a, a field of endeavor in this country where there is no racism. Name one. Mm. And and and, I, and I'm done. You know, sports, entertainment, radio, journalism, education. You know, mm. and incarceration. You can't name one. So you know, this this is a self-evident truth. So the fact that 59 percent uh, of Americans agree that it is, and I, I'm with you. It's, it can't all be black folk, and I and it is difficult to know how to feel about that because if you know that majority of Americans understands this and yet it is not this is not and yet you, you still get some of these other numbers that you get mm-hmm. what it means is that racism isn't that important to some of us mm. and I, I think that you know that's the thing that I've been noticing it's not a, for me it's a deal breaker mm. you know yeah <laughs> and, and that, and that doesn't, just, doesn't just mean racism against black folk I try to be uh, holistic and I try to be consistent in my beliefs so if you got a if, if you are, are racist against whomever, whatever race, creed, color, whatever, you know, then we've got a, we've got an issue. Then that, that's a deal breaker for me. But what I've seen with white folk, particularly with the, the, the last guy who was president, is that for a lot of them, that's not a deal breaker. They know who this guy is, mm-hmm. or who this guy was. They, they knew. And it wasn't a deal breaker. That, to me, uh, dis- left me disappointed and broke my heart in my, you know, in, in the faith I had had and a lot of my fellow Americans, uh, mm. that you, you know who this guy is. And if you didn't know the first time, there's no excuse for it if you didn't know the first time. But if you didn't, if, if you didn't know the first time, then came the second time, mm-hmm. you know, when there's no way not to know. And, he, and, and, and you still, what, 71 million, I think, what's his, what's his vote total? Mm-hmm. It's been a while. I'm, I'm blanking on it. But, it, you know, the, the, the most vote, the, the, most, uh, the largest vote total ever uh, for a losing candidate. That's right. Uh, you know that tells you something. Mm-hmm. So you know it. You you know it's a, you know it's a racist country. You know he's the head racist, and yet you're willing to look past that. That's okay with you. That's that's scary. Yeah. What, what I'm trying to what I'm trying to figure out, uh, Leonard, and I'm not naive about it, but I'm trying to figure it out nonetheless. Is this this 
uh, this disconnect, this dichotomy, if you will, between how 60% of us as adults are willing to acknowledge, at least, that America is a racist place, and yet racism persists. There's a disconnect between the acknowledgement and actually doing something about it, or is that just me? No, it's not just you. It's what I was just trying to say a moment ago. It's not that important to some of us. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they will pay they will pay lip service. That's why you get, you know, uh, certain politicians uh, every January suddenly discovering Martin Luther King and, and that one line from his speech, mm-hmm. uh, from his greatest speech that they're able to quote. That's why, you know, on Black History Month, you get, you know, all of this the, the, this emotional or, or, or intellectual disconnect of people who, who, you know, would have stood athwart Black history 50 years ago, suddenly discovering, you know, an ability to praise, you know, African-American, uh, you know, uh, courage and, 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 and fortitude or whatever. That's how you get these disconnects. It's not that important to them. You know, to, to 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 many of us, and that's that's what we have to deal. With. For again, for me, once once I've def- once I've discovered, once you've defined yourself in my mind as a bigot, as a racist, then that kind of you know that precludes anything else. Mm-hmm. You, you you might you might be a great musician, <laughs> you know <what> I'm <laughs> but but you're a bigot. Yeah, you might be a brilliant scientist, but you're a bigot. You know, so I can't I you know that's a block for me. I can't deal with you. I, we 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 can't go any further. Mm-hmm. And, you know, without without dealing with that. But for, for, for a lot of us, that's not the deal breaker that it is supposed to be, that it should be. Yeah. Uh, let, me, let me advance to these to these data points that speak, at least to my mind, um, about the coming, uh, the ongoing, I should say, not coming. They've been coming. They've been ongoing. Uh, the forthcoming uh, culture wars in this country. So as I mentioned earlier, half of Americans believe society should promote traditional social and moral values, whatever that means, traditional these days. Forty two percent say society society should encourage greater tolerance to people with different lifestyles and backgrounds. Three and four Republicans say the country should promote traditional social and moral values. Sixty seven percent of Democrats want greater tolerance of diverse lifestyles and backgrounds. There are a number of numbers in this category. The point I want to get to right quick here is what this says to you about the future of the cultural wars in this country. Well, before we get to that, can I just get to the fact that uh, since when is tolerance not a traditional value? Didn't see that coming. Didn't see that coming. I find the wording kind of interesting. Right. Since when is tolerance for difference? Isn't that sort of written into our founding documents? Uh, you know, it, since when is equality before the law not a traditional value? So, mm. you know, I, there there is that little bit of difficulty. But in terms of in terms of what you're saying, what what this says for the future of this country, what it says is what I've been saying. You know, for for years, what some of us have been saying for years: the country cannot survive in its present form if we don't get this resolved, if we don't figure this out. And, you know, I mean, I understand what what they mean by tolerance, what what, what they mean by uh, traditional, rather. What they mean by traditional is uh, restoration of that world where if you were white, male, and straight, and Christian, you know, then you were in charge of pretty much everything that that was worth being in charge of. Mm-hmm. And that world, that world is child. So, so if I was a denizen of that world, you know, if I if I had been a beneficiary of that world, I might be, you know, proclaiming, quote unquote, traditional values as well. But it's all it's all a cover for it's all a cover for I want the restoration of my primacy. Yeah. My primacy is under assault by women. 
is under assault by uh, by uh, gay people, is under assault by people of color. You know, I, it, it, and I, I'm I'm frightened. I'm 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 scared of, of what this means. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so so you know, you got these sort of two competing definitions of traditional, I guess, going on. Uh, but uh, but the, the bottom line is, as, as you as you say, the future of this country is in, is in peril because here's here's the thing. Guess what? The women ain't going back to the kitchen. Mm. The gays ain't going back to the closet. The black people are not going back to the back of the bus. Mm. It's just you know, and, and et cetera, and et cetera. Yeah. You know, I, I can't, I cannot think of a, and I've been, I've been sort of puzzling over this for years. I can't think of a, of a time in history, not, certainly not in American history, and I'm not familiar with any in world history, where a people has been liberated, have been liberated from whatever the situation was, and then went back, mm. volu- you know, voluntarily. <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe with guns or whatever, but, but then went back. I can't yeah. think, I can't think of that. This is why this is why he is a Pulitzer Prize winner. Uh, Forty years of uh, of writing, he's uh, still writing, but uh, he is no longer doing his column every week, which was must read copy for many of us. Uh, and you hear the reasons why. He 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 he, uh, he has a way with words and 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 drops lines and bars all over the place. Uh, and I want to pick up some of those when we come forward after news, sports, and traffic. I, I remember Leonard. I gave a a speech maybe twenty years ago, maybe even longer. And the the epicenter, the 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 thrust of my my, my presentation uh, was my belief then that tolerance was too low a bar for us. That as Americans yeah, we yeah, could do better yeah. than that. I thought that tolerance yeah. was too low a bar. I'm rethinking that. I want to I want to interrogate and unpack that with you when we come forward. Um, again, that was many years ago, and I thought that tolerance was just too low a bar. That may be the best we can do, and it appears that we're struggling to get to that bar. Uh, we'll unpack that and a great deal more uh, regarding this new poll about the stark political and cultural divides in this country. Our guest in this hour is Leonard Pitts, Jr., and you're listening to him right now on KBLA Talk 15. I'm Tavis Smiley. Our guest in this hour is Leonard Pitts, Jr., a Pulitzer Prize winning writer. I'm delighted to have him and you uh, join us in this hour for this conversation about this uh, NBC News poll uh, that underscores um, even more so the stark political and cultural divides uh, in this country. Um, we know we're deeply divided uh, politically and uh, in a variety of other ways, but it is always arresting for me to see the way these numbers shift, if only ever so slightly, over over time. Before news and traffic and sports, I was saying to, to Leonard um, that I gave a speech uh, a couple of decades ago, it seems, uh, and my, my, my theme of this particular talk was about tolerance. Uh, and, and I suggested then that I thought that tolerance was too low a bar, that as Americans we could do better than mere tolerance. And all these years later, Leonard, I'm rethinking that because it, it appears on it, with some of this data, <laughs> when you unpack it, that even tolerance is too high a bar these days. Your thoughts? Well, when you said that before the break, you, you may have heard me laugh, and I have to apologize for that. But the reason I laugh is because I gave that same speech 20 years ago. <laughs> same, time, same time you gave that speech, I gave that speech. I said, you tolerate, you tolerate your daughter-in-law's cooking. You should not be able, have to you know, tolerate a, you know, a whole family of human beings. Yeah. And, you know, and, I've, and I've regrettably come to sort of the same conclusion that maybe to, maybe even asking for tolerance may be too high a bar mm-hmm. um it I, I refuse to believe that we are wired that we are helpless prisoners of this idea that we've got to hate or, or or oppress people because they're different mm-hmm. I, I just decline to to, to 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 buy into that but i do believe 
that those those levers, those you know, when you can pull on those levers to, of, of 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 you know, to, to, of division between peoples, that they become very politically useful. And I think that uh, that we've seen, you know, we've sort of seen uh, textbook examples of that in this country over this last uh, generation or so. Yeah. This whole idea that if I, you know, divide, basically divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. It's basically, it's essentially just divide and and and, and conquer, and uh, it depends uh, on a steady supply of new. Somebody has to be the new fish in the barrel. Somebody has to be the new object of of our fear and of our hatred. If you'll remember, you're talking about 20 years ago. If you remember, 20 years ago was um, Muslim Americans, mm-hmm. and and that's not to say that you know that 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 the loathing of, uh, toward them has gone away, but a little bit of the fire has gone out of it. Now it's uh, it's uh, transgender Americans who are in the bucket. It's always black folks who are in the bucket. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we you know we, we're a perennial favorite. But there are these others that sort of that sort of rise and 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 crest and then and then go down. But it's, there there seems to always be a need for something new to fear, and that's you know it, it's depressing one that 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 we are so susceptible to that. It's also depressing, frankly, that some people are so cynical and callous that they uh, that they're willing to use that. They're willing to use any darn thing uh, mm-hmm. that that provides them with power. Yeah. I, I was about to ask, and again, I used the word naive earlier. I use it again. There's no na- no no naivete here with this with this with this question. Mm-hmm. But you you're 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 at the line. I want to just push you across it. Um, it's one mm-hmm. thing for the, for this data littered uh, to exist. It is another mm-hmm. thing for politicians to exploit it. Exactly. Uh, yeah. What 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 do you make of the fact that they choose to exploit it? Rather than to engage it at a, in a different way, let me let me let me try it this way. I, I was um, I, I, again thinking of speeches. I, I gave another speech, you know, probably you know, fifteen years ago or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and King, as this audience knows, is my hero. I regard Dr. King, is my own assessment, as the greatest American this country's ever produced. That's my assessment. And mm-hmm. King was fond of, as I would put it, putting love in the center of the public square. King put love in the center of the public square. Bobby Kennedy came around to that, putting love in the center of the mm-hmm. public square. Mahatma Gandhi clearly put love in the center of the public square. So there, there are all kinds of world leaders who've done this. You say the word love these days, people laugh you out of the room. But there was a time in which, and, and, and again, the fact that we regard King so much all these years later, he clearly wasn't stuck on stupid when he put love in the center of the public discourse, the public square. So politicians do have another route they could go, but they choose to see this data and then find ways to exploit it. What do you make of that reality? Uh, I, I think that they are, you know, you talk about putting love in the, in the center of the public square. I think that they are wired, uh, very many of them, to want to put power in the in in the center mm-hmm. of the public square mm-hmm. and fear is and fear is the is the surest route to uh, to power you got to remember dr king wasn't wasn't in search of, of personal power mm-hmm. per se mm-hmm. he was he was in pursuit of what's what was best for this country and the sad truth is that a lot of the people the ones who are you know chanting america first the loudest and wearing the the the, the uh, american flag lapel pins and hugging physically hugging slash assaulting the flag they they they're the ones who care the least about this country because they are the ones who are willing to see this country go down, and I mean literally go down, rather than to see it uh, live up to its founding creed, its founding principles. As I, I, you know, you talk about people being tired of you, tired of you hearing say, uh, tired of hearing you say certain things. There's a thing that I've I've been telling people for years that there's no problem with America. Mm-hmm. America is 
America is perfect. As I may have said this on your show last mm-hmm. time, America is about as perfect as as anything ever created by human human hands. Americans, you know, mm-hmm. are a whole other issue because they refuse to live up to America. No problem with uh, America is you know we truth, health, self evident, all men created equal, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, all that. Who who can who can argue about that? Yeah. But Americans, if you know, if given the choice between pursuing America or pursuing power. You know, too many of them, you know, are are too too fast and, and too eager to pursue power for at, at what it, you know is. Excuse me, Malcolm X, by any means necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, including including the destruction of the country. Yeah, what what do you make then? You just as always, every time I talk to you, I can't keep mm-hmm. up with you because I'm, I'm my mind is is going faster and faster, racing oh, faster God. and faster, trying to trying to uh, get these ideas out that pop in my head every time you say something. Speaking of ideas, uh, my question is this. What do you make of this, again, growing dichotomy between, because you put your finger on this a moment ago, the ideals, the I-D-E-A-L-S that we profess, but the ideas that we embrace. This poll sort of does that. It makes a, it, it makes it draws a clear line between the ideals that we profess as a nation but the mm-hmm. ideas that we are embracing in real time, what do you make of that that divide, that distinction, Leonard? Well, again, it comes back to the same thing. Who really believes in and, and believes in and loves and loves this country? And I, I submit that some of us just don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I believe it's easy to give to give lip service to loving the country, just like it's easy to give lip service to uh, to supporting Dr. King every January. Mm-hmm. But when when the rubber meets the road, when 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 and that calls for when the ideal, when, when, when it calls for some sacrifice, mm-hmm. when it calls for you to do some things that are perhaps not in your immediate selfish personal or political interest, mm-hmm. you know, that's when, that's when, you know, the, 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 the wheat and the chaff get separated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to remember that Dr. King was highly um, unpopular at the end of his life because that's he right. did what was not what was not in his immediate uh, professional interest. He came out against what was then still a popular war in Vietnam. And his public support tanked even among African-Americans. We'd like to forget that. That's right. But, That's you right. Know, black folk weren't, were not in love with Dr. King when, when he died. That's he right. followed what he thought what was best for this country. He had courage i guess that you know that you know that's the word that that that's what we're talking about he had a sense of of, of commitment to this country and a sense of moral courage the sense the, the the ability to have moral courage in this country is is what we are what we seem to be lacking there are very few of us in, in particularly public servants in the public arena and in, in government who have the moral courage to do what's right for the country as opposed to what's right for the party and what, or what's right for the base or what's right for themselves and, and- and to the extent you're right about that, and I couldn't agree with you more, wh- whatever happened to, to, to courage? Uh, Maya Angelou used to always tell me that Tavis, courage is like a muscle. Uh, you have to exercise it. You don't just wake up uh, courageous one day. You got you to gotta exercise that muscle as you would any other muscle in your body. But to your point, um, there was a time when it appeared to me, I mean, let's face it, every year they still have it. They still mm-hmm. hand out the award, the, 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 the Kennedy Profile and Courage Award, right? Um, they, right? They hand out every year a profile and courage, and they're looking every year to find somebody uh, in, the, in the public square who is deserving of this uh, Profile and Courage Award. To your mind, whatever happened to courage politically at least? Well, I don't know that it's ever been. I don't know that it's ever been in in, in such great supply because that's what you know. You you notice it and it, it stands out because there's not <laughs> not much of it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's not there's not much of it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, you know, uh, think of uh, of um, of um, 
Roosevelt mm-hmm. incarcerating and detaining the uh, the Japanese at the beginning of, of the uh, the Second World War. He left the he left the Germans and the Italian Americans largely alone, but Japanese Americans suddenly find themselves looking out through barbed wire. This is not an act of great courage, you know, from from a man who is genuinely who is generally well regarded by those of us on the political left. Mm-hmm. But you know, he, his courage courage failed him. Courage failed. You know, I've seen it fail. We saw it fail uh, uh, John Kennedy at, at one point, and, mm-hmm. and 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 Bobby and all the rest of these heroes. So, and 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 Martin, for that matter. Sure. You know, some of the some of the civil rights, uh, some of the uh, freedom writers were very uh, upset with him because he would not, you know, join them uh, going through um, Mississippi, I believe it was. So, you know, I don't want to make it seem like <clears throat> like this. It's sort of this easy thing. But all of those people that I named were able to find it at some other point in life when it counted. And none of them did whatever, you know, whatever compromise or, or, or with courage that they made, none of them did it in craven pursuit of their own political agenda at the expense of the country. That's yeah. what I think the difference is. The people who, who, who refuse to, to, to exhibit courage now, it's, li- it's, it's, it's not a momentary failing. It's a way of life. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. It's, it's, it's it's what can I do for you know again me the my my, my party and my base yeah. uh, and 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 the heck with the rest of it and, and the country cannot sustain you cannot you can't it's like it's like a house plant somebody got to look out for the plant somebody got to water it somebody got you know fertilizer on it and, and what you know whatever else it needs it can't sustain itself by itself if nobody's caring for it yeah. this America that America that that we claim to love you know cannot sustain itself if if we're not you know what you know taking care of of, of the uh, the idea that we're not watering the tree of democracy yeah i love it uh i could talk to leonard pitts jr every day and he said something moments ago well actually minutes uh, back uh, in this conversation that I, i've been noodling on noodling on since he said it and i got to get to it uh, i think there's something there he made this powerful point that he has never met or known of any group in this country or for that matter in the world who were liberated and then decided to go back that's been resting, that's been bothering me since he uh, been poking at me since he since he said it. I want to unpack that um, with something when we come forward uh, on KBLA Talk Fifteen Eighty. Leonard Pitts Jr. It took me a while uh, in this conversation to figure out why that comment you made was just um, troubling me. Uh, why it was uh, why it wouldn't let me go? Why I couldn't let it go? That notion that you raised earlier that you've never known a people in this country or anywhere in the world who were liberated and decided to go back. And here's it, it finally just came to me during that break why, why that hit me so hard. So I think you'll appreciate the, 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 the metaphor or the analogy. Moses told Pharaoh to let my people go. Mm. And he did. But on their way to the promised land, they got stuck in the wilderness, as we all know, for 40 years. Mm. Um, I think about that now in terms of black folk. We may have been given freedom. We may have been liberated on our way to the promised land. But so much of this data suggests uh, that not necessarily because of us, and yet we do have a role to play in this. Um, We've been stuck in the wilderness for all this time. Um, That's the best analogy I can give. How does that hit you or not? Or not? No, that's a great analogy. And, um, the only thing that I would add is that some of us, uh, and I'll speak for myself, having grown up in, I don't know how old, quite how old you are, but I know that I am, I consider myself the era, the, the uh, generation that grew up in the immediate post-civil rights era. Mm-hmm. And so for a while there, I thought we were in the promised land. Mm-hmm. You know, because 
in the 70s, you know, everybody seemed to agree that, you know, that, I mean, I'm not saying that things were perfect, don't get me wrong, but I am saying that in the 70s, black and white, we seemed to agree that we had we had some issues, we had to address them, and that certain things were, systemic things were wrong, and that we were going to take a serious, uh, you know, look at them, and, and, and what's happened uh, since then, it's sort of been a process over the over the uh, forty years intervening uh, from from since then forty fifty years whatever intervening since mm-hmm. then it's sort of been a process of of being um, of having my my of being disillusioned I guess mm-hmm. of 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 have of of understanding that no this was not the promised land there was a there was a moment uh, Lerone Bennett spoke to this there was a moment you know uh, immediately afterward when you know people said yay and you know everything everything is wonderful mm-hmm. but then. You know those forces of of repression start putting themselves, start reasserting themselves. And I think that's the thing that we've we've always failed to understand. What is the quote from uh, from uh, I think it's Thomas Jefferson? Um, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. That's right. We have not been eternally vigilant, you know, since uh, since nineteen let's say nineteen sixty eight. I think eternal vigilance has sort of failed us. The people who who were um, who are opposed to, to to freedom? They never slept. They never stopped. They never, you know, they they never ceased to organize, to agitate, to to to, to try to accrue political power. Again, I thought, you know, as, as a kid, you know, in the nineties, okay, we we got this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Progress straight ahead. Yeah, you know, not perfect, but we, we're we're moving in in a straight up situation. Yeah. And uh, what they were doing was working to normalize the, uh, you know, and, and rename some of the same old repression. You know, when I say rename, I'm, I'm thinking about, say, for instance, you know, voter suppression. Well, we had grandfather clauses, we had literacy tests, and now we've got things like in Georgia where if you miss a comma in your name, you can't vote. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, so they, they were rebranding oppression, yeah. <laughs> you know. Woo, a rebranding oppression. Uh, another phrase that I'll, I'll <laughs> just keeps doing this. Um, but that that's what I wanted to get at. Uh, this notion uh, that we were liberated, uh, uh, Leonard's point rather, that people have been liberated around the globe. Uh, he can't find one group that wants to go back. And I'm not suggesting that black folk want to go back. Although for those who know the biblical story, there were folk in the wilderness who said, man, we should have stayed where we were. Uh, some of them did want to go back. It was so bad for them in the wilderness. Uh, so I'm not suggesting that black folk want to go back. I am suggesting that in some ways we may still be stuck in this wilderness on our way yet to the promised land. Our remaining moments with Leonard Pitts Jr. when we come forward on KBLA Talk 15. Uh, you're listening to Leonard Pitts Jr. on KBLA Talk for Kennedy. Uh, at least the two minutes we have left with Leonard in this hour, which I've enjoyed immensely, as I often do, always do. Um, Leonard, I guess my extra question is this. Um, these numbers uh, in this poll uh, that underscore these stark political and culture divides say what to you about the future of an already fragile democracy? They tell me that we're walking on a razor blade. Mm. Uh you know, between between you know between our, what we hope and what we fear, and that uh, you know what what happens from this moment on uh, or from this point on will determine whether or not you know th- this idea, and we talked about ideas and ideals, whether th- that this idea and this ideal of America are still viable, or whether Americans are up to it. You know, whether we are whether we are as large as our largest ideals, and the jury, unfortunately, is is still deliberating. That's what those that's what those numbers say. Yeah, no, they're. Uh... They are uh, devastating and, and damning altogether. Uh, and yeah. 
it, it, it requires some unpacking. That's why I wanted to have you on uh, for the hour. Little Pitch Jr., I, let me ask you about 45 seconds. How, how's the writing going? How, how's the book stuff coming along? You know, I'm just about to finish the uh, the, uh, the next the final draft on my next book, so okay. we're almost there. All right, we're almost there. Well, you know, you know, you got to come back when it's done. You got it. All right, I'll be there. I appreciate you, Lynn. All the best to you, my friend. Stay strong.